They showboat is noticed wherever they go. They dazzle you with their charm and professionalism. Welcome aboard the Silver Dollar Showboats. That voice you just heard is that of Scott Stevenson, better known as the Silver Dollar Man. Now, I have with me Todd Porter. Todd, do you know why they call this podcast the Silver Dollar Showboats? I feel like I should know, but I do not know that. <laughs> well, Silver Dollar Man is who I am. This is from my adult years. But when I was a kid yes. in athletics, they called me Showboat because I was a little bit of a hot dog. I like the attention. But I tell everybody this. So this is called Silver Dollar Showboats. But a showboat actually comes, the old-time Mark Twain kind of a thing, right. where a big showboat would come down the Mississippi, and everybody would look at it and be in awe because it just caught their attention because it was so spectacular. That's why you're on the podcast today. Oh, wow. Wow. you, yes, you are a showboat. <laughs> this is good to know. Good to know. This is the first I've been referred to as a showboat. Absolutely. Well, no doubt about yeah. it. <laughs> well, so the reason why I bring people on the Silver Dollar Showboats is people who've been successful in their life, and I always dig in a little bit to their life, their background, and, and what makes them tick. So, so I'm going to ask you some early questions. Tell us a little bit about your, where you come from, your childhood. What, what kind of background did you have? I actually, my, I have a basic, from my standpoint of view, I have an amazing childhood. I, it was mom and dad were, were middle yeah. class. My, my father was involved with real estate. He was a broker. He actually was a broker. He, is that um, here in Utah? Yeah, here in Utah. Yeah. Totally here in Utah. Bountiful Utah is where all this took place. And being there in Bountiful and him being a broker. So I was around real estate. He was also into high-performance engines and just that era of the 60s era where he just loved high-performance engines and put them in boats and cars and Corvettes and all that kind of stuff. I was around all those kinds of things and, and being thrown in the seat. I, I remember as just a young kid getting in a Corvette and one that would literally pull the front wheels off the ground and to yeah. be able to be I've, thrown I've in the seat. I've a Corvette before and I'll tell you, you can go 100 miles an hour and you think you're going like 50. It's that smooth. Well, especially now. Back yeah. then in, in, the, in the older vets, it wasn't as smooth. <laughs> it was not as smooth. But nonetheless, you got that adrenaline pump from being thrown in the seat and that kind yeah. of thing. And then the real estate aspect, I was just around it all the time. And because of that and seeing the what took place during the 70s yeah. and early 80s when interest rates were at 19 percent yes i swore that. i would never be involved in real estate i just went that is a nightmare i saw the stress that my parents were under during that period of time yeah. Yeah. and just trying to make ends meet and i just said i will never be involved in real estate and look where you are exactly exactly Good. so did you have a bunch of siblings or just yourself or what total of three kids including myself yeah. uh -huh. three kids so i have a sister who's she's also real, real estate, real estate. She, she's yeah. involved in real estate and here in utah and then my brother he has his own business but anyway so grew up with at the very edge of bountiful meaning yeah. at the time it was the very edge of bountiful so i could walk right up into the mountains and it was just a very free life as far as just being able to go do what i wanted to do i'd leave at 
6, 7 o'clock in the morning. And the only time I'd get in trouble if I wasn't home in time for dinner. Yeah. And my I'm parents had no man. clue where I was. Yeah. I'd ride my bike to Lagoon and just <laughs> whatever. It was just really a whole different life than what we see today. Well, it's interesting. When I talk to people, and a lot of times people tell their background stories about, it's usually some trauma sometimes in their childhood, or they've had stories about overcoming this or that. But my childhood was idealistic. I came from loving parents and loving siblings, and very few people I meet tell the same story. And it's almost like you don't want to tell the story because (laughs) somehow you you should feel guilty that you were so blessed. But it sounds like you came from a home like I came from. And it was really a great life, a, a great life. And moving forward, went to college, got a degree in business, uh, moved up the corporate ladder, and all the time keeping my fingers somewhat involved in real estate because I was an investor. So I I was buying real estate and holding on to it. And uh, eventually... When did you start buying real estate? In your 20s? 30s? I was in my 20s. Really? In my 20s. That's unusual. It is unusual. Well, in reality... back then. Yeah. In reality, what transpired was I was telling my dad how I was going to not pay taxes, Mm -hmm. how I was going to limit my tax exposure. (laughs) And every time I would tell him, here's my plan, Dad, and I would lay it out, and he'd go, that's a good way to go to prison. That's a great (laughs) way to go to prison. And so that's a great way to get into trouble and so forth. And so over time, after I'd brought multiple scenarios (laughs) about how I was going to pull this off, finally said, there's one way that you can. He said, what you have to realize is the more you contribute to society, the more you contribute to the economy, the more that you become an asset in building up the infrastructure, the more write-offs that you get. So you need to invest. If you want to have the tax advantages, you need to invest. And he literally called me up one day and he said, meet me at the title company. And so I went down and met him at the title company and I signed my life away <laughs> and I purchased a duplex. And I literally signed my name and it was a private cell. What, what I mean, there was no mortgage, there was no bank involved. Right. It was a purchase. Uh, it was a purchase, an acquisition mm-hmm. of a duplex. And the seller, it was seller financing. It was the seller carried back the note. Sure. And that was, boom, I was in. I was was in real estate. That was it. I was involved with real estate. And from there on, I just always kept my fingers involved in some some one degree or another in the real estate world. I mean, do you call yourself really a real estate agent or are you an investor? Or both? I'm an investor with a real estate license. Yeah, but most of it, most of what you do more investing than you do just be a real estate agent for somebody else. Or Re- no. Really, th- those two are meshed. And what yeah. I mean by that is the way I approach the market, mm-hmm. which I do a lot of, of realtor or real estate agent type activities, but the way I approach the market is completely different than the way most people approach the market. And my clients tell me that, that, yeah. that the way I look at it, the way I, I pursue so? it. Be- because of coming at it from an investor standpoint of view, mm-hmm. all of a sudden we can bring up, as soon as you put on the hat of an investor, all of a sudden it opens up to so many opportunities, so many different angles that we can go at. We can go to seller financing. 
Mm-hmm. We can go towards a, a carry back as an example. Mm-hmm. You can all of a sudden do a fix and flip to where we're going to fix it up as an investor standpoint of view. We, we're going to fix it up. Yeah. And, and I shouldn't say fix and flip. It should be more like fix and sell. Right. Let's fix it up and sell it where I can bring in my contractors and my or the people that I know my from my Rolodex, old school Rolodex. Yeah. <laughs> Does anybody <laughs> from, from, know what Rolodex means? Exactly. <laughs> from my cell phone, I guess you could yeah. say, from my cell phone. Yeah. But I, I can bring in, bring in those contacts and be able to fix it up and turn around and sell it at a higher value. Having hard money financing, if, if that's necessary, bringing that to the table. There's just all kinds of angles that we can go at in uh, getting a property sold or in buying a property yeah. when I'm representing the buyers. Uh, buying a property, it just opens up to all kinds of creativity when you approach it from an investor standpoint of view rather than just an agent. An agent, from my standpoint of view, is just focused on getting the deal done right. as simple as possible, as yeah. quick as possible, and getting the commission. Right. That's where they're after. Mm-hmm. From an investor standpoint of view, you're looking at a little bit longer-term relationship. My clients are some of my best friends. and But now how do you mean a longer-term, meaning you – you walk them through this to make a purchase and then you stay with them because you're looking to either sell again or what? Is that what you mean? And there's no agenda, meaning uh, they may or may not sell again. And, but it's that we're investing our time, we're investing our resources. It's not just for the quick buck. It's not just for that commission. It's for helping them to be able to see a bigger picture. And it's up to them. They're the ones calling the shots. That's what a a lot of agents really mess up on is they behave and make decisions that really are the decisions of their client. It's not their decision. It's their client's decision. But at the same time, when you start laying out on the table all the different options that they do have, it's so advantageous to them and longer term to where maybe they're not looking for a quick buck. Maybe they're not looking for a quick sell once they see the options. The key is put the options in front of them. Give them the opportunity to be able to pick and choose what they're willing or what they're really looking for. Because many, there's been several times where they say, look, I really want to sell. And I need to sell as fast as I possibly can. Okay, well, what if we do this? And then you start laying out some different uh, yeah. uh, parameters. You to them and then you find something different. Yeah, and all of a sudden they're going, well, maybe I don't need to sell as quick as I, if I can get that much more money and we fix it up, let's do it. Let's fix it up to where I can get a better bang for the buck. Or maybe I don't need all that money all at once. Seller financing, maybe I'll take advantage of seller financing, get enough money in my pocket to go to the next house or to be able to fulfill my objectives. But then I'm going to be getting ongoing income off of that property for X number of years moving forward. And so it just, it makes it so that we're looking at it long-term. In a a long-term instead of just a transaction. Yes. So let me ask you something. So what, I know you talked a little bit earlier about climbing up the corporate ladder and that kind of thing. What changed your mind about the, uh, the corporate structure? What about it didn't you like that pushed you this direction? And this is self revealing. It just didn't, corporate America did not bring out and I'm not blaming corporate America for that, but it just didn't bring the best out in me. My, it was, I was known for being somewhat of the hatchet guy, the guy that would come in, help to help change up the infrastructure, to try to get the bottom line results, to be able to get the bottom line results. So, so people 
or in, in, in the corporate position I was in, I always viewed people. I didn't view people. I didn't see people. I saw a bottom line. I saw a sheet of names yeah. and or in really positions. What was their value? What did they add to the, to the you know, bring to the table? That kind of a thing. And my wife was really against me going into real estate full time. She did not like that idea at all. Because of the risk? From her standpoint of view, she was used to a ongoing income. Yeah. She could count on every two weeks. This is what yeah. was coming in. And so she just really liked that. And then all of a sudden, because she knew, she had heard me talk about the 70s and the 80s yeah. and about how it was up and down and so forth. So she was really against it. And so when I jumped into real estate full time, she was very nervous about it until the first time she literally saw me weep over a transaction for my clients. Mm-hmm. It was there was concern for my clients and they were expressing it on the phone and she literally saw me weep and she went, Where you should have done this a long time ago. It just brought out more of the human yeah. factor. When I got involved with real estate, I really thought I was getting involved in the buying and selling of real estate. Boy, was I wrong. I should have got a degree in in counseling before I ever got my license as a real estate agent. Because you're involved in every every aspect of human life. You're involved in marriage, divorce, death, birth, estates, everything. There's nothing that goes... It's shocking when you sit back and think about how much of a person's life is revolved around the real estate aspect of their life. And it's been just such a blessing in my life to be able to have develop those relationships so and have those relationships. Is, what your wife saw was the other side of real estate, which is the human side, which is the helping people. Absolutely. Get, and have the American dream. And that's a wonderful thing to do. Oh, it's incredible. Well, I ended up spending – I went on a religious mission uh-huh. for my church. Yeah. And – I went to a third world country, and in that third world country, I saw poverty that, to the point, poverty that doesn't even exist in the United States, just that level. Mm-hmm. We don't, there's nowhere in the United States that there's that level of poverty that I witnessed. And while I was in that third world country, I was trying to figure out, I'm going, how is it that we enjoy such wealth, the poorest among us? is extremely wealthy on as far as the overall globe, the world, and so forth. And I went, why? How, how does that happen? How, why is it that we have, that we are so blessed? And what it came down to, I saw a movie after I returned to the United States. Yeah. I saw a movie called, and you've probably seen it, it's uh, Cinderella Man. Yes, Yes. About uh, the boxer. Yeah, the boxer. Who was that? Who was the lead actor there? Crow. Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. Yeah, great movie. Oh, it was a phenomenal movie. But that movie haunted me in the sense of, at the beginning of the movie, it's about a boxer during the Great Depression. At the beginning of the movie, he cannot feed his family. He's giving his children to his family to feed them because he could not feed them. So So he's losing his family, so to speak. And in the movie, he's jogging down. Anybody who hasn't seen it needs to go see the movie. I'm, I'm on, ready. It was based on a true story. Oh, it right? is. Totally true story. Completely yeah. true story. Uh-huh. And he's jogging, and he's getting fit for the fight, and he jogs down to the arena, and outside the arena are all these Mercedes-Benz. Now, I emphasize, this is during the Great Depression, and there's all these Mercedes-Benz out, out there, 
and he goes up into the clubhouse where all the owners are and everything, and he's literally begging from the owners for nickels, dimes, and pennies to be able to feed his family. Yeah. And I sat there and I just thought, what is the difference between him and here they are in the Great Depression. What's the difference between him not even being able to feed his family and these other people that are the owners and have these Mercedes-Benz and all this wealth yeah. during the Great Depression? When there's a complete collapse of the dollar, There, I was just astounded looking at it. And then that put me right into what's the difference between the third world country yeah. and the United States? And I'm going, there's got to be a correlation here. There's, there's something going on here. And what really came very clear to me is it's the life, liberty, and property. That's the difference with emphasis on property. Yeah. Those owners, even if the value of their assets was had been decreased because of the Great Depression, they had assets. Yeah. They still had the hard assets. And the United States, in the United States, the property rights of the United States is fundamentally what has created the wealth of the United States. And so anybody trying to, and that, that, that really put into motion my whole perspective of the world and being able to identify what is what I'd refer to as tyranny or evil, and that is when they're trying to take away property, they're destroying the fundamentals of the United States of America. Yeah. And that's how you can pick it up so quick. As soon as you see somebody that is looking or trying to take away property rights and property, it's it, they're tyrants. That's all there is to it. Tyranny is in full bloom. And you saw that with the land barons back in the early days in the 1800s. The land barons were gobbling up all the land and trying to just push all the small landowners out. Right. And it's a similar kind of thing where if you don't own any property, you really cannot realize the total potential, financial potential of your family and your posterity. Exactly. Totally. There's no doubt that's accurate. History has just proven that over and over again. And so so that was that whole dynamic. It just it changed my life, meaning all of a sudden my perspective of property rights, my perspective of property, my perspective of real estate was just a whole different level, a whole different priority, I guess you could say. Well, you believe there are a lot of professions to be in. There are a lot of things to do with your life, and and many people choose all kinds of different professions. But I've noted in the real estate, as you've spoken about, is that when you're helping people reach a dream like this, you are really doing something of value for humanity, for everyone that you touch and help. Oh, absolutely. So many people come to mind as you're explaining that. So many people, one of them in particular, this gal, it was on 5th South and Bountiful. I had an old, oh, it was just an old beat up house it was just a really old house there on fifth busy street um and his old beat up house and and this lady came to the house she was a single mom i think she had, yeah she had three boys and she's and she came in she said i just i don't think i can afford to buy this house and i said well let's find out and so boom i connected her with a top very good loan officer and and her name's Debbie Anderson at SWBC Mortgage. She's phenomenal. She's just incredible. But 
connected the two, and sure enough, they were able to work it out where she was able to buy this house. And when she bought this house, I literally told her, I explained to her and I showed her how it is on the corner how do I explain this? There's a plot of ground that one owner had, and they had multiple homes right around the corner. So so this was a rectangular piece, oh, yeah. and this piece she had was at the corner of that rectangle. And I explained to her, I said, this family is the people that own all this land are probably not going to sell it until they pass. And they're very, they were older. They were, much, they were in their older years. And I said, but when they pass, his history says that their children are going to sell it off. Yeah. And that's what will happen. So don't ever sell this ground unless you talk to me first, because this will become very important in the future. And so she didn't. She kept it, raised her boys there. She called me up one day. She got remarried, yeah. called me up one day and said, Should I, I, I want to get a different house. Should I sell the property? I said, no, don't sell it. Just rent it out. Mm-hmm. Just rent it out. And so she did. She rented it out. And... One day, I was sitting in a meeting with some de- developers and so forth, and they were buying that whole section of property, and they said, but this corner plot right here, we need to get... That corner plot was her property, mm-hmm. and they said, we got to get that. So, boom, I got on the phone with her and said, now's the time. Now's the time to sell. Bottom line is, and, and so she sold, and she went and bought more real estate, it's real estate has created security for her and her family really for generations to come yeah and it was just off of the one acquisition her buying a little piece of junk house and now she lives up on the east bench there in davis county she lives on the east bench her and her husband and she has other real estate that she rents out and she's just uh got a great life and but it all comes down to being willing to purchase that first property. Well, I'm looking. I, I would like your opinion on this. So there are a lot of people that, of course, are, are critical of the federal government in many different ways. But I don't know. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. When I look at, I don't know, the United States of America and its government, don't you think that that's part of the a positive thing that they do in allowing and helping people? acquire property i'm speaking of the federal government itself with its loans and its property rights that's guaranteed and in certain cases of course they come in and take people's rights but in general the united states is a pretty property friendly country oh as far as especially when you compare it to the rest of the globe yeah absolutely and well it's fundamental to the united states of america being again like we talked about a minute ago life liberty and property and and really people say well where do you get this property idea from because it's life liberty and the pursuit of happiness is what it literally says yeah but pursuit of happiness was put in there in the 11th hour and the reason why the founding fathers put in pursuit of happiness was instead of property was because of slavery and they were not in favor of mankind owning an, another, another uh, man, another person. And they were not in favor of that at all. And so many times we've lost that so much in our, in our day-to-day understanding of the United States. And we beat ourselves up about our slavery history. Yeah. But we also got to realize that wasn't a United States 
economic system. It was a global economic system. Right. Humans being trafficked and humans being slaves was global. It was right. a, We were just one of the first countries to do away with it. And quite frankly, it still happens today. Yeah. But the key was they did not want to have property be designated as human property. So they said, we can't have property be, be, be specified because then we won't be able to get rid of slavery. Yeah. But now that we've gotten rid of slavery, as far as legally, it's not legal to have slaves right. in, in this country, we really need to get back to the basics, which is life, liberty, and property. And that's fundamental to the United States. So to your point that, yes, the United States is very – the system supports private ownership of property. Yeah. And we just – we the people – just need to keep demanding that be the case. We're the ones calling the shots here, yeah. and we need to demand that that continue to be the case, that private property is is a fundamental characteristic of our economic system. Yeah, and you talked about third world countries, and I've been to third world countries before, and I've seen, I don't know if I saw the same kind of poverty, but the chance and ability of anybody to get out of that situation was zero. Yes. They were not getting out. What they were born into, that kind of poverty, I don't know, maybe somebody escaped, but I never saw anybody escape or could. I didn't even know that they had an opportunity. And that breeds hopelessness. Although I will have to say sometimes it seemed that some of those people, even in the most dire situations, found happiness. Isn't oh, that strange? Th- well, then there's, there's no doubt big, they there's did. There's a big lesson to be learned there. Oh, yes, for sure. I met a lot of, as you're saying, yeah. I, I met a lot of, of uh, people that you would consider um, deep in poverty and extremely happy. Yeah. Absolutely. The alternative, though, as, as far as being able to have the wealth, yeah. to be able to have maybe your influence expanded, being able to pass on generational wealth, I think would just add to their happiness. Yes, you I mean? agree. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, they're, some of the, I guess, greatest moments is watching people who had absolutely nothing but still valued just family relationships and things like that. But how much better that would have been if they'd been able to have a roof over their head and provide security for their family and how blessed we are here in the United States of America to be able to have the right to have property, as you've stated. But there's something you've brought up there that I think we really need to remind ourselves of, and that was that the wealth or the stuff, the assets – are not needed. Being happy is a choice. Yeah. And these people proved it to us day in, over and over again, that it is a choice. It is a decision to be happy. And in the future, moving forward, because we're heading in some difficult times. We are heading into some challenging times. And I think we always need to remember that our, no matter what happens, there is no reason to, what do you want to say, to start being damaging to other people, yeah. uh, to assets, to, to buildings, all those kinds of things, to be, be able to attack that way, that there's no reason for that. Yeah. And we, we need to remember our humanity. No matter what happens, we need to remember our humanity and, uh, and to be able to build people up, help people to overcome, help people to have a better vision uh, moving forward in their lives, and to be able to uh, withstand whatever life brings. I don't know anybody who their life's exactly the way they had it planned. It doesn't exist. It to go exactly that way. No, it doesn't. Even, even the people that I'd look at them and go, oh, their life is so blessed. Yes. And you talk to them, 
they still had challenges yeah. they still had problems they still had experiences and it's just a matter of them and they still do it it's continuing on there's they, they still yeah. have problems every day they have challenges every day they have things that they have to deal with and it, it's really interesting that's i think it's part of being on the planet that you're yeah. going to have challenges and if you happen to have a moment recall a long time ago i had a person i was talking to a friend of mine and she always seemed to be talking about all the negative things that were going on in her life and so i said to her i said look everybody's got problems and she said really she said what are yours well at that particular moment in my life everything seemed to be in order and I had my wife i had a great marriage i had a bunch of kids that i liked my job was paying me well and i was in good health and everything just seemed to be right and i remember thinking at that very moment when she asked me i go well then i looked around in my mind and i go well i had a hangnail last week <laughs> but the thing is that for that very moment things were peaceful but it wasn't very long before the clouds started forming over me and right. my family. And some of the rain started to come. So there are moments of when the sun is out shining. And I think sometimes what we do is we see those moments in other people's lives. And we project, I guess, that their whole life has been that way. So they have a moment where things seem to be great. And you say, gosh, those guys, they got everything that's perfect. But it's only, it's, first of all, it's never perfect. But if it is close to perfect, it's momentary. And then they move into another phase that has all kinds of problems. I mean, as you age, for instance, you're a lot younger than I am. But as my aging has come, it starts to rob you of some of the things you enjoy doing. And you can either cry about it or accept it and enjoy what you have. And I was always told this age thing, it was going to be aged gracefully. <laughs> I do not see anything graceful about the aging process, man. There is nothing graceful about it. It's just not happening. But the things that you're talking about there as far as, well, it just, so, so I started buying real estate at a very young age. Yeah. But then I hit a point where I went, this isn't growing fast enough. This isn't. And so what did I do? And it, and it had to do with my, my wife also encouraged this because she was tired of dealing with real estate so far. So I sold it all off. Yeah. Sold everything. Sold all my real estate and did not reinvest. And so when I'm talking to people, it, I went on for over a decade before I ever invested again. Biggest mis economic mistake of my life. Okay. <laughs> and looking back, and my wife even says, what did you even listen to me for? Why did you listen to me? Yeah, because I wanted a marriage. <laughs> So anyway, my, my point is, you know, that, hey, you, you can have a blessing right in your lap and not recognize it, not yeah. see it. It can be right yeah. there. And then all of a sudden I got rid of it. The big, like I said, the most, the biggest economic mistake I've ever made in my life is not the buying of real estate. It's the selling of real estate. And when I drive past those properties now, <laughs> yeah. oh, I literally just want to throw up. <laughs> It's, oh, my heavens. Oh, my heavens. Well, so tell me, what do you think, what attributes do you think have helped you through your life to be successful? And success isn't always, I'm not talking necessarily monetarily, but to be a successful person. What has influenced you to have the outlook that you have? Because you seem to have a positive outlook about things. The biggest, well, one thing is, I, it's really as fundamental to who I am, and that is that experience in the third world country. Mm -hmm. That I wouldn't trade that for anything because it just opened up my eyes to, again, people with nothing and being able to be happy. But also what a blessing it is to be 
here in the United yeah. States yeah. for me to be able to ac- accomplish and not be put into a caste. That's what you referred to yeah. is a caste system. Right. Well, once you're in a caste system, whatever system you're born into, that's it. You're stuck. You yeah. cannot. And in yeah. the United States, there is not, even though people keep trying to bring in a caste system. It doesn't exist, especially fundamentally. It does not exist. There is not a caste system in the United States. And so so once I recognize that is to all of a sudden pursue what I what my passions were. And there's periods of time when I haven't done that. And then I all then I have to wake up my wake myself up and go, look, there is opportunity all around you. Give you another example. What one of my a friend of mine was is a inner city missionary mm-hmm. and he came to me and he said i've had the craziest experience and i said well, what's up and he said i went to a family who and he said i can offer everything i offer i can provide there's nothing that i offer to them that i can't provide well these people had been totally on welfare their entire lives that she had multiple children from multiple fathers. She, her, her daughter, young teenager, was, was pregnant and was going through the same process. And yesterday he said, is there anything I can do for you? And she said, I don't know. You, you tell me. What can you bring to the table? And he went through the process. And he said, how would you like to have a house? And she said, oh, I could never have a house. Said, okay. How would you like to have a car? Oh, I could never have a car. Oh, Okay. How would you like to have a job? I really would like to have some extra income. Okay, that's what she said. I'd like to have some extra yeah. income. And so he said, okay. He said, what are your skills? What, are, what, what can you do? What value can you bring to the table? And she goes, I have no idea. I've never been employed. And he says, okay, let's go down and get have a competency test and be able to see where you're at. And he said, Todd, she tested out as a total genius. She was a genius. And I said, okay. Wow. And he said, how would you like to have a full-ride scholarship to the University of Utah? And she said, oh. She goes, I got all the time. I can study everything. Yes, let's do that. So he lined it up so it would be quarter to quarter semester. And, and boom, got it all lined up. All she had to do was go in and sign the papers. And boom, she would she'd be able to go to college. She didn't show up. So he went down and asked her. He said, what happened? Why didn't you show up to sign the documents? And she said, oh, I could never. There's no way I can go to college. I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. And he asked her. He said, who have you been talking to? Who have you allowed to influence your perspective? And he explained the crab pot. And he said, in a crab pot, when you're out hunting crabs, that if you have a pot and you put one crab in, he'll just reach up and get himself out. But if you put two crabs in or more, nobody will get out because they just keep pulling each other down and wearing each other out. So so none of the crabs get out as long as you put two or more in yeah. there. And he, and he said, you're living in a crab pot. Your friends, neighbors, relatives, whoever it is you're associating with is pulling you down and is not allowing you to break out because that makes them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, I looked at him and I said, sounds just like me. And he was shocked. He was like, what? He goes, that's not like you. I said, at some level or another, it is. We're all like that at some degree, Yeah. to some degree. And maybe my economic position is higher than hers is or whatever. But the bottom line is we all have to work on continually looking at life and recognizing the opportunities and the blessings that are right in front of our face. 
And I literally said to him, I said, I honestly believe that when I die and go to the other side, I honestly believe my God is going to show me many opportunities that I did not see because I just did not have the eyes or the vision or the mindset to recognize the opportunity that was right in front of my face. And he sat there and nodded his head. And he said, I think you're right. He goes, I think that's all of us. We're all there to one degree or another. Well, I'm just listening to you here, and I think you're right. Because I think when you self-analyze, anybody who's listened to this podcast will listen to it. If you self-analyze, that's really a true statement about everyone to some degree. Some on different levels, but just what you've stated. I look at my own life, and it's a similar kind of thing. Or, but we are we limit our own potential most of the time, just simply because people tell us we can't. Yeah, we, we get in our own way. Yeah. We get our, and we sabotage our own opportunities. Yeah, and it's just a matter of again grabbing ourselves by the bootstraps and pulling ourselves up and saying no more. We're going to turn over a new leaf, and day by day just pursuing life and seeking out those opportunities and not allowing ourselves to get in the way to maybe just a little bit less degree. Yeah. It's just awesome. Well, I've certainly enjoyed talking about all these things. And finally, I want to ask you one question. Who do you think has influenced you the most in your life for the positive? Or it could be the negative, but most times people remember the people that have helped them the most in in a positive way. Well, and it's twofold. And one is my father, mm-hmm. being him being in real estate, he and he had a really rough childhood. That and so and he's passed just last year. What he achieved in his life without having an example and a role model is just it's fascinating to me and very inspiring to me that he was such a good man and and raised me so lovingly. When he did, again, he did not have that example in his life. And then him and his, his interest in real estate and him pursuing every, everything we've talked about, yeah. he embodied. He's, he went out there and just got after it and just got it done and did not allow the negative or the, his history or his background to, to impact him or to slow him down. And then the second, and it sounds like a cliche, but it's really the truth is the Lord Jesus Christ that I, I when I found the Lord and found his the, the his willingness to engage in my life to be a part of my life yeah. those that double combination and actually I, I shared the my, my, my father was not a religious man at all until I started helping him along that road and so I think if my father was here right now he would it would be full circle he'd be like I he had a great influence on me from the history standpoint of view and from real estate and all that kind of stuff. And I had a great impact on him in bringing the Lord Jesus Christ to his life. And it, and it changed his life, absolutely helped to pour yeah. fuel on the fire, so to speak, mm-hmm. and helped him in his life. So it, it's a great combination. Well, Todd, it's been a wonderful time talking with you. I've enjoyed it. I've learned some things, again. And always I learn from others when they tell their stories about their life and what motivates them. And certainly I've been uplifted by our conversation. So thanks so much for sharing. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. Appreciate it. No problem. Don't go down the river of life unnoticed by being a tugboat. Get educated at www.askusutah.com. Everyone can be a showboat. You just have to want it.